Would you please all rise in body and spirit for the call to worship? That last hymn, Wade in the Water, is a New Testament reference to a place where people could find healing in waters that were stirred up by an angel. Here at First Unitarian, our community is our healing waters. Our commitment to service is our healing waters. Our shared values are our, our, our healing waters. Our healing waters are perhaps better symbolized by our chalice. And we kindle our chalice as part of our connection to the large waters of Unitarian Universalism. May this flame, these waters, bring us all the healing that we need to love our way into a more just and caring world. Please be seated. Come into the healing rivers, rivers of grace. Come into the healing rivers, rivers of grace. Come into the healing rivers, rivers of grace. Flowing down, down, down to my soul. Love shines in the healing rivers, rivers of grace. Love shines in the healing rivers, rivers of grace. Love shines in the healing rivers, the rivers of grace flowing down, down, down to my soul. Forgiveness flows in these rivers. It flows. Rivers of grace. Forgiveness flows in these rivers, rivers of grace. Forgiveness flows in these rivers, rivers of grace. Flowing down, 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 down to my soul. Come bathe in the healing. Rivers, rivers of grace, come bathe in the healing rivers, rivers of grace, come bathe in the healing rivers, rivers of grace, flowing down, down, down to my soul. Down, 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 
to our sanctuary after uh, it's been a couple of weeks now. January is the fiercest month, and so we're so glad that you joined us on this crisp morning. We bring our whole selves into this moment, body, mind, and spirit, our whole selves, love for who we are. We're pleased to welcome Dr. Sherry Burt, who will be speaking later. Dr. Burr is a friend of First Unitarian, the author of Complicated Lives and 26 other books. She's a former professor of intellectual property at, uh, law at University of New Mexico Law School, and she is also opening an exhibit based on her work in the social hall today. Welcome, Dr. Burke, and thank you for sharing your many gifts with us. A special welcome to our visitors and to all joining us from a home in the social hall or in the family room. Let's take a moment to smile or wave at everybody else in this special place. And if you're on Zoom, I invite you to wave as well. So why don't we just wave at each other or smile at each other? I think we might be back there. Okay, that's great. Come, let us worship together. felt like there was a little bit of feedback with the microphone. Does it sound okay? Okay. As we wade into the mysteries of our bodies, let us take time to settle our minds. This interconnected network of constantly working cells, let it rest for just a moment. Breathe in stillness. Breathe out all that does not serve you currently, whatever that may be for you. Breathe in stillness. Breathe out all that does not serve. Breathe in stillness and breathe out. In the next few minutes of spaciousness, let us rest.
Spirit of life and love, we gather in prayer. Let us call to mind all of those who are on our minds and hearts this morning. See their faces, feel their presence with you. At the sound of the chime, I invite you to speak all those names aloud so that we may hold them together. And if you are on Zoom this morning, you may also share the names and other joys and sorrows that you have in the chat. All these named aloud and held on our hearts we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. In addition to these names, I lift up several members of our community. Melissa Nikud appreciates good wishes and prayers as she faces medical complexities and uncertainties prior to determining an effective treatment. May she be held in love. We hold in our care Carol Osland, who is having surgery on the 10th. May her surgeons and doctors and the rest of her team use their skills to support Carol's recovery. Beloved member Rick Held lets us know that Jeanette Held has been moved into hospice care. We hold Jeanette and Rick and the whole family in our care during this time. And we grieve with the friends and family of Len Truesdell, a member of our branch congregation in Socorro, who died on December 30th. We hold his wife, Joan, in our loving care. And we celebrate with joy and congratulations members Joella Bezig and Derek Trimbo, who were married by Reverend Angela last fall. It is an honor to walk through one another's journeys together. May we all feel the warmth of this community's love. Spirit of life, there is so much more to name into our prayers. Folks struggling in communities across the nation, loved ones living with the scary changes brought on by our changing climate, especially the flooding occurring in the West over the past weeks gun violence occurring locally, and the elected officials who are feeling the fear and uncertainty of these threats. May our collective prayers offer protection and ease, strength and courage. May we be reminded that we are not alone, and may we feel the tender blessings of this sacred community. Amen, and peace be with you. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long way from home a long way from home
Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone. A long way from home. A long way from home. Long way from home, a long way from honor and a pleasure to be here. My grandfather was a Methodist minister, and the first time I stepped on a pulpit, I was about 10 years old. He heard me playing piano, practicing Silent Night, and he asked me the next Sunday to, to uh, play and to say a few words. So it's always a pleasure to be back in front of a pulpit. That song is one of my favorites, and what I like about it is it captures the essence of how Africans who were kidnapped from their homeland would have felt. And when you go to the exhibition, and hopefully you'll stop by after church, you'll see the first, one of the first items is a map. And it charts the voyage that the Africans who were kidnapped out of Angola in 2019, the voyage that they took, they were on their way to Veracruz, Mexico, when they were kidnapped a second time and brought to the shores of Georgetown. So I hope um, when you see that map, you can identify with why they might have felt they were motherless children a long way from home. I want to thank Reverend Bob for the opportunity to share his pulpit today. And I especially want to thank Pam Livingston and the Arts and Aesthetics Committee uh, for helping me hang the exhibition. When it originally was displayed at the African American Performing Arts Center in 2019 to honor the 400th anniversary of those four first kidnapped Africans, uh, it took me two weeks with one assistant to hang the exhibition. Uh, Pam and her committee hung the exhibition in two days, so I am very grateful to them. Like a lot of things, um, the road to my book, Complicated Lives, and the road to the exhibition began out of serendipity. I was uh, going through a bag of letters uh, in my garage one day, and I came across one from my great aunt Callie, in which she said that she was on her way to visit Aunt Lillian uh, in Wyoming. Uh, and I wondered uh, why a black woman would be living in Wyoming in the middle of last century, uh, which of course is strange given that I live in New Mexico. Uh, and then two weeks later, she wrote me that Aunt Lillian had passed. And since I had to go north to do um, research for another book, I thought I would stop in Wyoming and see if I could find out a little bit more about Aunt Lillian. 
Um, and on the very first stop, it was a, a brand new uh, museum exhibition hall. I asked the woman, you know, where I could find where my aunt might have lived and where the cemetery was. She pulled out a map and um, showed me where the county clerk's office was, and she uh, showed me where the cemetery was. And I went to the county clerk's office, and within 20 minutes, I had the address to my Aunt Lillian's home. So I knocked on the door and there was a portly Hispanic woman sitting uh, through a screen door. Um, and I explained that I was the niece of Lillian Faye Todd and she said, come on in. So she invited me into her home, which she had purchased uh, from Aunt Callie after Aunt Lillian died. And she had also purchased all the contents, all the mahogany um, antique furniture, the Persian rugs, um, Aunt Lillian's silver, her handcrafted um, linens. Um, so she gave me a tour and I felt like I had stumbled upon a family history museum. Uh, and she gave me items from Aunt Lillian as I was leaving. Uh, and um, when I went to the cemetery, I couldn't find Aunt Lillian's grave. And I later found out it's because there was no headstone. So I arranged for a headstone ceremony a couple of months later. And that brought out Aunt Lillian's best friend who was still alive. Um, and they shared all these memories about Aunt Lillian. And by that time, she'd been gone 38 years and I wondered, what kind of woman would create this amount of love in her heart that even 38 years later, people would remember her? So I wanted to know more about her. And um, I just happened to be giving a talk in Salt Lake City and my seatmates suggested that I visit the Family History Museum. And I thought I'd stay there for 15 minutes. Well, three hours later, I, I left. It was raining, I had missed dinner, but I didn't care because I walked out with this stack of census records. Um, and they included a schedule that not only linked um, Aunt Lillian and her husband, Andrew Todd, to Chicago in 1920, but another one in 1850 that linked Aunt Lillian's father, my great-great-grandfather, uh, George Hill, who had been born free in Virginia in 1847, and he was living on the farm of his grandfather. So then I became really curious, and I went to the Library of Virginia. I found the emancipation deed for my fourth great-grandfather, Gideon Hill, who had been freed from slavery as a two-year-old. Um, and then I went to Monticello to do more research, and they said, oh, you should come and be a Monticello fellow. So I lived on the grounds of Thomas Jefferson's Monticello while I did additional research. And um, eventually, that led to the book Complicated Lies, which led to the exhibition, which I'm very proud and pleased and honored to be able to share with you. I would um, end by saying that um, this, uh, this story of what happened to Africans, um, you know, caused us to revisit a time when blacks were early citizens and participants in the United States economy. Um, and as you go through the exhibition, you'll see that there were blacks who owned a lot of property like my ancestors did in Virginia in the early 1800s. Um, one of the thrills of the research was to discover that I was a seventh generation property owner and that our family had loaned, owned property in this country for over 200 years. Um, and I thought that that was a story that needed to be told because we have the sense that all blacks were slaves before the Civil War, that they were enfeebled um, mentally, but that's not true. Um, the Africans who came to this country brought over a lot of their skills and their intellect with them. And that's why there were blacks going back to the earliest of the 1600s who owned plantations in this country. Um, so um, I think that this research proves that um, black lives mattered then and they matter now and that to heal the psychic injuries that continue today, we must unveil the past and address its wounds. My exhibition and the book 
interweaves legal history with my journey of discovering what happened to those African Americans who were free before the Civil War and lived their lives in the shadows of a complicated world. Thank you. Thank you. Sound effects. The other day I was driving along in the streets of Albuquerque and I saw a vehicle with a Let's Go Brandon bumper sticker on it and I kind of lost my mind. And I got this impulse to pull up next to them and roll down my window and call them a traitor, among other things. I didn't do it, but I really did suffer in that moment because I was really upset, I was really mad, just triggered, and I was not responding with my best self. For the rest of us, for all of us in this political moment, does that sound familiar? I'd say one of the most common questions I've gotten over the last two years, actually longer, six years, has been, how do I stay in relationship with members of my family who believe such different things from me, who have such different values, but I wanna stay connected to them and I don't know how. Let's try to answer that a little bit. Throughout this sermon, I'm gonna be drawing heavily from the wonderful book, My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Manikam. And you might check out his follow-up book, The Quaking of America, which is on my list. It recently came out, My Grandmother's Hands. How many folks have read this out of curiosity? All right, I'm not surprised. So in addition to talking about the concepts in the book, I'll be pausing to lead us in some of the body practices that Menachem describes in this book. And these are exercises to help us while we're upset, like I was. Menachem designed these exercises specifically for those moments when we feel racialized trauma. And that could be the experience of being a victim of racism, or the experience of knowing that we inadvertently committed an act of racism, or were complicit either by design or just inadvertently. In those moments, Manikin proposes that these body practices help us stay connected to our bodies, stay aware of our bodies, and be grounded. So we're gonna try one right now. All right, will y'all play along with me? So this one is called humming. And you just start by taking a few belly breaths. I'm gonna take a chair over here. Find a comfortable seat. Start by taking a few deep breaths. Mm. Everybody see me? <sighs> and then just start humming. When you exhale, just exhale in a hum, in a low, steady tone. And change the tone with every breath. Let's do that together for a minute. Thank you. I could hear some harmonies emerging. <laughs> some natural singers in here. So Monica talks about clean pain and dirty pain, which you may have heard me mention before, these ideas. So dirty pain is the discomfort we feel when we choose to live with something that we know is a lie. We choose to ignore it or look past it. And clean pain is the discomfort we feel when we confront a truth full on without evasion and actually deal with it. 
It too is uncomfortable, but unlike the dirty pain, it passes eventually. So I have an example that I'm gonna direct, an example of this experience, I'm gonna direct to the people with white bodies in this room, all the folks with white bodies. I'm gonna say something that I believe to be true. And while I'm saying it, I invite you to just watch your body, to see how your body reacts when you hear it. So just watch your body for a moment as I speak. All people with white bodies benefit in some way from white supremacy. It is the duty of all people, all people with white bodies to dismantle white supremacy. All people with white bodies. All people with white bodies benefit from white supremacy in some way. All people with white bodies have a duty to dismantle white supremacy. What did you notice when you heard those words? Specifically, what did you feel in your body and where in your body did you feel it? Maybe you felt evasion or wanted to debate the idea. Maybe you felt a clenching. Perhaps you felt the truth of it and felt sad. Maybe you felt tired, weighed down. So whatever you experienced, <clears throat> try to steer that experience towards clean pain, seeing things as they are. So Monikam in this book, he's, described, he's helping us, it's a really a how-to manual about how to handle doing the work of, pain, of clean pain. And he describes five anchors to rely on. And anchors is a good word for what he describes because like an actual anchor on a boat these anchors ground us. They hold us in a safer place while we weather a storm or wait out the night. So the first anchor is to soothe yourself. It means that when something upsetting happens, <clears throat> focus on your own care. And he, says that you, he suggests that you don't talk, but just breathe. So perhaps you can tell yourself to stay calm in that moment. Monikam also suggests finding a quiet place for this anchor if needs be, and that, that can include excusing, excusing yourself and going to the bathroom, hiding out in the bathroom. The bathroom can be used strategically as a quiet place. The second anchor is simply to notice the sensations and emotions that are going on instead of reacting to them. So for folks with meditation practices, this might sound familiar. In some forms of meditation, we're instructed to note our thoughts as they arise and then let them go. So when you're doing this anchor, you might say, oh, hey, look, it's shame. You again, shame. Okay, shame, I'm letting you go. The third anchor is to accept, accept the discomfort instead of trying to flee from it. And this is one of the core practices for folks with white bodies. Now, I know that many folks here read the book, White Fragility, or at least have heard of this idea that one of the things that holds white-bodied folks back from doing the real work is that some folks, when some white folks are told a hard truth, they react with defensiveness or just collapse into shame and paralysis. None of those platforms, shame, defensiveness, paralysis, those are not good, good platforms for doing some good work with clean pain. So there's a phrase that I'm finding very usefully these days. It's called discomfort tolerance. It's the idea that in order to move forward in our understanding, we need to be able to sit in discomfort and stay there without freaking out. So, I mean, it's not a, a normal practice, but I'll tell you, seminary is a really good place to practice that. Somewhere around my first year, like late in my first year, I got to the point where I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd ask myself, what am I gonna find out I was wrong about today? Kristen, does that sound familiar? <laughs> I imagine. The fourth anchor is to stay present in your body as you, as you experience it, and then respond from the best part of yourself. Isn't that interesting, the idea of responding from the best part of yourself? Monica means responding with deep integrity, 
being as honest with ourselves as we possibly can before deciding how to respond to the experience we just had. The fifth and final anchor is to safely discharge any energy that remains after we've had our encounter. So like when a zebra outruns a lion, which is a very traumatic experience, when it's safe, it'll vigorously shake itself or ripple its skin along its back. And that's discharging leftover energy from a stressful situation. And for people who are not zebras, there's dancing, there's playing sports, doing some hard physical work, something that really gets us moving and allows us to discharge this energy, move this energy off of us. And here's interestingly, Manikam suggests avoiding yoga or Tai Chi, because even though those activities are relaxing, they gather energy rather than disperse it. So you want to like shed the energy. So those are the five anchors for when we have an upsetting institute. We soothe ourselves, we pay attention to the sensations in the body, we accept the discomfort, we respond from the best part of ourselves, and we safely discharge the energy when we're done. Let's try another body practice. This one we do in silence. Just get yourself comfortable again, whatever suits your body today, whatever fits your specific body. And this one, these are all super simple. That's what I love about them. This one is just rubbing your belly. So get yourself comfortable and then just start by placing your hand on your belly. Maybe just above your navel, if you want. And just press and hold for a moment or two. Get familiar with that presence. Then slowly rub your belly in any way that feels good to you. Whatever feels good. You can also rub the middle of your chest if that feels more soothing, or your solar plexus if that's a better spot. Whatever works for you, just soothe yourself. Let's do that for a minute. All right, thanks for trying that. Rubbing my, rubbing my belly reminds me that my COVID-19 were pounds. So I hope that some folks here who are listening are getting interested in this idea of a more, of more deeply understanding how our bodies are central to working through the experience of racism and our response to it. And I know that some folks here at the church are already doing this work. Over the past year, First Unitarian congregant Catherine Fernside has been leading classes for this specific work. You may have seen her leading a play session in the courtyard a couple of months ago after service. And I participated in one of those classes and I have to say that there were a lot of aha moments for me. So Catherine is not teaching a class right now, but we will let folks know via all our various news channels if she teaches one again, so look out for that. So before I got started, we heard from Dr. Sherry Burr about how her family history surprised and challenged her and the places that this information took her. Her story, her book, and her exhibit, which you should definitely check out, it's just down the hall in the social hall, they remind us to be careful about accepting the narrative that we've always been told too easily and that's because if we're going to create our futures in a healthy way, we need to face our past and face them in as healthy a way as possible, as honestly as possible, as, with as much integrity as possible. We need to face them with the best part of ourselves, our integrity, our deepest integrity. And part of doing that is having our bodies support us in that facing. So I've been thinking a lot lately about contempt and anger. That story I just told you, for example, at the beginning of the sermon. And I'm referring to the habit, the knee-jerk response of having contempt for people who hold opinions different than ourselves. And I am speaking about myself. I am quite fond of my opinions. 
And I find myself not just disagreeing with people, but dismissing them if they don't share my opinion. It's an ugly thing, but I need to admit it to, to get through it. Some clean pain. The challenging part of this, of course, is when people are holding opinions that hurt the people I care about. It's a challenge when I know that they voted for people, for someone who wants to create policies that hurt our people. And that's when I get to feeling contempt. So back to my encounter with the Let's Go Brandon guy. I've been thinking that if I had had the foresight and presence of mind to work through my anchors, maybe I wouldn't have been stuck in that awful state of contempt and anger. That person would have still had their beliefs, but let's be real, my anger and contempt would have had no effect on them anyways. But if had I practiced the self-soothing and awareness and grounded my body, I might have had a moment of understanding or even compassion. So how do we tolerate the intolerant? How do we acknowledge the full humanity of other people when they are also hurting our people? I'm sorry, but I don't have the answer to that. That one is too hard. But I do know that when we start dehumanizing other people, we also dehumanize ourselves. When we dehumanize other people, we dehumanize ourselves. And I'm sure no one benefits when we let ourselves become less human. Most of all us, we suffer the most. Well, I wanna thank you for humoring me and going along with these exercises. And I pray that we can use our bodies to learn to be better people, to learn to be better humans, more fully human. May it be so. I took my chair away. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm rubbing my belly. For many of us, this church is more than a building. It is a place for us to be authentic with one another as we share our spirituality. Here we can be free to grow without the burdens of hierarchical religious authority. The offering is one way for us to support this safe, spiritual place. Street Safe New Mexico is our current Change for the Future partner through February. They're a small, all-volunteer-run organization that provides essential services to women trafficked in the sex trade, many at the same time unhoused or in the need of mental health or other care. You can donate to Street Safe New Mexico with your loose change or by using the envelope on the back of the chairs and simply label it CFF. We now gratefully receive the offering. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed, no more backward thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be, there's so much hatred, war and poverty. Just let it be. 
The world won't get no better We gotta change again You and me Wake up all the doctors, make all the people well. The ones who suffer and who catch all the hell. But they don't have so very long before the judgment day. So won't you make them happy before they pass away? If we just let it be, oh, the world will get no better. We gotta change it, you and me. Yeah, you and me. You and me. Change it, everybody. You gotta wake up. Oh, wake up, wake up everybody, yeah, you gotta wake up, wake up everybody, yeah, yeah, you gotta wake up, wake up, Whoa. Yeah. wake up everybody, Yes. <laughs> we all join me in offering gratitude for these offerings this morning. It is such a blessing to be able to partner in this way and to be able to live out our mission in this community. Thank you for your generosity. And I wanted to share with you also that um, usually on our Christmas Eve service every year, we do our offering for our food bank here. Um, our food food pantry, sorry. And this year, because of your generosity, our food um, pantry has all the funding it needs. And so we were able to take our Christmas Eve offering for the Manara Muslim Communities um, Food Program. And I'm going to look at my number here to tell you how much we were able to collect. $2,531.78 was collected on Christmas Eve for the Manara Muslim um, meal program. And they are here on our campus giving out meals every single week. So it's with such gratitude that we're able to collect so much money for that program. Attention, parents of elementary age children. Do you love children, but you could use a few minutes of adult interaction? Do you enjoy drinking coffee or tea while it's still warm? Do you have opinions about cookies? If so, please join us as we present our Parents Drink Coffee While Kids Are in the RE Concept. It's happening at 10 a.m. today, and it's uh, going to be across the um, foyer, um, in RE foyer across the courtyard to the southwest. Um, We'll have singing, crafts, and stories for the kids, and then coffee, tea, and snacks for the adults in the adjoining Memorial Hall. And we're looking forward to seeing you there. I could use that. <laughs> Our annual meeting is coming up on January 29th. I hope you all have that on your calendar. You will be able to attend either in person or on Zoom, so make sure that you're here. Um, we are going to have the opportunity that day to vote on whether or not we are going to adopt the eighth principle. And that is the way that we are committing to the work of creating a multicultural welcoming church and dis dismantling racism and other oppressions. So today, after the service, um, members of the eighth principle explorations task force will be available to talk with you about any questions you might have about the eighth principle or any comments or thoughts you have about it before that January 29th meeting when we vote. 
So you can meet um, Damaris Donato in the special breakout room that will be available after the service today, or look for Heather Clark, who is going to be in person at the coffee hour, and she's wearing a special button, uh, so you'll be able to look for her. So I hope you all will um, join us on January 29th, and that you will learn more about the eighth principle if you don't know about it already. And do we have any newcomers with us today? and possibly some of you online. Welcome, if we can join in applause for all of our newcomers. And will you rise in body or spirit for our peace greeting, placing one hand on your heart and another extended outwards in greeting to one another. us in singing together hymn 120, excuse me, 1007 from your turquoise hymnal. There's a river flowing in my soul. Peace and practice radical love.